Pastor Xavier Reese and a true and reliable power source on today's Simple Truths. The promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was and is to receive power for service. The flesh, the natural abilities of your life and mine are absolutely impotent to fulfill the will and the purposes of God. Until you and I are thoroughly convinced, we will continue to trust our flesh to do what only the Spirit can do. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. How does an ordinary man do the extraordinary? Well, that's the premise of today's study titled, The Baptism of the Holy Spirit, in which we'll discover a power source not only made available to all that seek it, but promises accomplishment for all those that apply it. Take a moment and open your Bible to the book of Acts, chapter 1, for today's Simple Truth Study. Here's our teacher, Pastor Xavier. I want to speak to you on the baptism of the Holy Spirit in order that we see the importance of it for the believer in the church. Now, some people object to the term the baptism of the Holy Spirit and say that there is no such thing. Yet Jesus is the one that uses this phrase. Matthew 3.11, Acts 1.5, comparison to the baptism of John to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I rather stick with phrases that are biblical and that come from the mouth of Jesus. That way I don't have to redefine them. I don't have to try to explain them. You can just go to the Bible and you don't have to depend on me. Others reject the very doctrine because of the abuse of the gifts in their operation. Now that doesn't mean the gifts are not legitimate for today. They're being exercised wrong and in confusion. And then there's still others who teach that the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts are not for today. That's the other extreme. We always go to one extreme or the other rather than searching the scriptures and, and abiding in that balance and in that sound doctrine that we're supposed to. What I want to do is look at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which will reveal to us the wealth of truth regarding the relationship of the baptism of the Holy Spirit from three perspectives. So here's three thoughts to hang all your material on, three hooks. First, we're going to look at the promise of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we'll look at the pattern of the Holy Spirit. And then we'll finish up with the privilege of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 1, verse 5, he says, For John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. These are the propositional truths that he gives, and then he shows how they're manifested to the rest of the book of Acts. This is the foundation. Let's begin here with the promise of the Holy Spirit. We have to go back before the resurrection. The promise of the Holy Spirit was given by Jesus to his disciples. John 14, 15, and 16. Let me point out a couple of verses. John 14, 16, in the beginning, it says the Father would send the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that. Right? The Father would give them, he says, another comforter. In 1416, the word another is allos. It means another of the same kind, just like Jesus, but of another numerical difference. Because Jesus is the second person of the Trinity and the Holy Spirit is the third. So that you wouldn't confuse thinking they're the same person. They're not. Okay? Some people have a hard time with the Trinity. They say they're all the same person. No, they aren't. One God, three persons. 
It's from Genesis to Revelation. He says he would be a helper, paracletos, meaning one to come alongside to help you do the work, not to do it for you. You're not a robot. You're never forced. You have a free will. He comes alongside to help you. The Holy Spirit would abide with you forever, he says there in the 16th verse also. Now, many people try to use that as a text for eternal security. But context is important. He's talking about leaving and the Holy Spirit coming. I've come, I'm leaving. He's coming and he'll never leave. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit who convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, right? He's not going to leave. He's a representative of Christ. It has nothing to do with eternal security. Out of context. In the next verse, verse 17 of chapter 14, John, he says this, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells here, listen, with you and will be in you. There's the first two propositions. We've gone over them before. I'm doing it purposely. With and in. And we'll deal with this as we move along. Now, in the next verse, in 18 of John 14, the promise of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, was in replacement of him when he left. Jesus would not leave them as orphans, he says in verse 18. And that Jesus would come to them through the Holy Spirit. Because he's a silent witness of Jesus. In John 15, 26 and 16, 14, Jesus said the Holy Spirit would testify and glorify him. So he's a silent witness. He points us to Jesus, speaks of Jesus, brings to mind the things of Jesus, never speaks of himself. The third person of the Trinity. In fact, he told his disciples in John 16, 7 and 8 that it was absolutely necessary that he left. Because if he didn't leave, the Holy Spirit would not come. So it was of the greatest benefit for him to leave. Because when he was here on earth, he was limited to one place at one time by the humanity, by the incarnation. But when he left, the Holy Spirit would be everywhere at the same time doing the work through the church. You understand? More work can get accomplished. It's real simple. Now, the promise of the Holy Spirit by Jesus to his disciples revealed then a new relationship with the Holy Spirit that never had existed before. As you know, in the Old Testament, the saints were endowed with the Holy Spirit, but only in special cases. The service of Oholiab and Beziel, when they did the tabernacle, they were anointed with wisdom from above, so on and so forth. For leadership, Moses, Joshua, David, the prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Habakkuk, Amos. Those were the only ones. The rest of the people of the nation did not have the Holy Spirit in them. A new relationship. The Lord Jesus describes that threefold prepositions for that relationship. We've already mentioned two of them in John 14, 17. He shall be with you and in you. With is the Greek word para. In is en, inside your body. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit the minute you're born again. Ephesians 1, 13, 14 says you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. The seal means that you belong to Him. That's all it means. Doesn't mean you can't break no seal. In fact, foods have seals on it. If you break it, then it's tampered with and they, don't, they can't sell it, right? The seal just means an identification to you. That's all. You belong to Him. So with you and in you. 
And then the third one we find in Acts 1.8. We've looked at it before. The Holy Spirit will be upon. Epi. E-P-I. A third preposition. This is what Jesus calls the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now follow me carefully here. Verse 4 of chapter 1 of Acts. The promise of the Father. Verse 5. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. And verse 8. The power from on high. They're all synonymous, right? I say, this is my son. I tell another person, that's my child. They're synonymous. Four, five, eight. There's your foundation of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and he plays it out in the rest of Acts. They're synonymous. At Pentecost, they spoke in various dialects, as we'll see in chapter 2, verse 3 and 11. And the people present heard them speak the wonderful works of God in their own dialect. Dialectos is the word. Now, the disciples never spoke these languages. But it says they heard them speak. So was it a miracle of speaking or a miracle of hearing? (laughs) Because 1 Corinthians 14 tells us, and I'll point it out later on, that when you speak in tongues, no one understands you. You do not speak to men, but you speak to God. They're supernatural heavenly gifts, languages. These languages they spoke were earthly. So let me propose to you that the day of Pentecost, it was a miracle because they were earthly human languages they had never spoken and it wasn't to preach the gospel. They didn't repent because of they, what they heard. They repented because of the sermon. 1 Corinthians 14 is very clear. When you have the gift of tongues, you do not speak to men. Men cannot understand you unless God would give the interpretation. So what we've got in the day of Pentecost is a miracle of people speaking earthly languages that they didn't know before. But it wasn't for the purpose of preaching. They didn't repent for what they heard. They repented from the preaching of Peter, who spoke in regular languages. You understand? Many people say, well, tongues is for preaching to the heathen. No, it isn't. Not at all. Now, they received power from on high at Pentecost. The disciples later were threatened not to speak in the name of Jesus, as you know, in, in Acts 4.31. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Another synonymous term, as we'll see, with the baptism. And they spoke with boldness. Now, the promise of the Holy Spirit by Jesus to his disciples was that they would receive power through the Holy Spirit. It's very clear in Acts 1.8. The disciples were to wait for the promise of the Father, verse 4. They were to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, verse 5 of Acts 1. And they would receive power, verse 8. And disciples would be witnesses to Jesus in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. It would be the example of their life being pleasing before Jesus and then acting out in the practical witness to others. Acts 4.13, he he sees everything open and naked to him, right? So the most important thing is that I'm a witness to Jesus. He can look down my life and say, yep, he's living it. And then my witness is real effective, isn't it? Now, if you're not living it and you're witnessing, he'll still use you to save people. He used Balaam's jackass. We all qualify God uses you and me 
in spite of us. You understand? God will use whoever you are, whether you are genuine or a hypocrite, because He loves people and He honors His word. He'll deal with us later. You understand? Somehow we get caught up with the vessel. We're nothing. We're to be light and salt. Matthew 5, 13 and 14 to the world. We're to give an answer to people for the reason of the hope that lies in us with meekness and fear. 1 Peter three fifteen. To be able to give answers. Well, well, is there a hell? What does the Bible teach? Why do I have to repent? What sin? What are you talking about judgment? That we can give clearly an answer. That the Holy Spirit will use the word of God to convict people's hearts. The Holy Spirit saves. Not you, not I. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for empowering service. And it has many synonymous names. I'm going to give you eight of them that we find through the book of Acts. And they all are names used for the baptism that is given in chapter 1. Luke 24, 49, you're familiar. The promise from on high. That's the same. Acts 1, 4, the promise of the Father. Acts 1, 5, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, 13, I mean 2, 33... Receiving from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. Later on in Acts 2, 4 and 9, 17. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 8, 17. Receiving the Holy Spirit. Acts 10, 45. The gift of the Holy Spirit. And Acts 8, 16 and 10, 44. The Holy Spirit fell on them. Those are the eight synonymous names that we find through the book of Acts that are the same as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some people in history have called it the second blessing. I don't care what you call it. My question to you and to myself is, do I have it? The empowering for service. That I'm running... On the power of God, not my own talents, my abilities, my own intellect. It's very important. The baptism of the Holy Spirit for empowering service should not be misunderstood then. It is not based on feelings or emotions. You get a little tingle? Great, but don't teach the tingle. That's not the doctrine. You get goosebumps? Great. But that doesn't mean everybody will. It is not identified uniquely and solely with speaking in tongues. This is the usual one extreme of four square assembly of God and all Pentecostal circles. That you must speak in tongues and that all Christians can speak in tongues. Pray tell. Paul asked the question in 1 Corinthians 14. Do all have the gift of teaching? No. Do all have the gift of this? No. Do all have the gift? No. And then he says, do all have the gift of tongues? Do you think the answer is yes? How can we say that one gift, particularly tongues, is the true evidence? It's unbiblical. They get an F in theology. It is not the Holy Spirit coming upon you to make you do something weird, to go out of control. For the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. 1 Corinthians 14.32 You understand? The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. God's a gentleman. God's not going to have you what they call slaying the spirit to crack your head. 
Are you saying God can't knock you down? Sure, he can knock me down. But he's not going to knock me down and crack my head. I'm his child. Why does somebody have to catch me? The only ones I see knocked down is non-believers. They came to arrest Jesus. He says, I am he. You were down. Paul's on his way to Damascus. He gets knocked to the ground. And he converts him. So we don't have any biblical precedence for a quote, quote, slain in the spirit. You're teaching experience. You're teaching emotionalism. It is to be an effective witness for Jesus, empowered to do the service of God. You understand? That's the baptism. Now, the command is very clear in Scripture. We are to be filled with the Holy Spirit continually. Ephesians 5.18. Keep on keeping on, literally. So we can see that it's not a one-time deal. I need to be filled with the Spirit every day. The baptism is for empowerment. Every day. It is the only thing that enables us to live to the glory of God. Ephesians 5.18, what follows after that? Beginning verse 21. The family. The wife submits to the husband. Husband's the head. The children, the, the employees, employees, because we don't have slaves and masters now. Not, nothing will work if you're not filled with the Spirit of God. If you're living your life in the energy of your flesh, it'll show. You will not be becoming more like Jesus. You'll be becoming more like you. And that's backwards. You stay the same. And if you stay the same, you're going backwards. You ever been in a parking lot? You're sitting there watching or hearing some jams and all of a sudden somebody starts backing up and you think that you're moving and you start hitting the brake? Now you're not going nowhere, but it seems like you're going backwards. It's like guy's moving forward. If you're standing still, you're going backwards. You can only make progress to the Spirit of God. You understand? Listen to Jude. Jude, only one chapter, verse 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Praying in the Holy Spirit. That's how you build yourself up in your most holy faith. Let me ask you a question. As a command to every Christian, praying in the Holy Spirit. If you say that that's speaking in tongues, and yet Paul says not everybody speaks in tongues, what do you do with that text? <laughs> Those who have their prayer language can speak in tongues. Then how do the rest fulfill this? Romans 8. The Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings, as we call to Him. Everybody can fulfill this command. It's not fulfilled by speaking in tongues alone, because not everybody speaks in tongues. Scripture interprets Scripture, ladies and gentlemen. Let's put on our thinking caps. Let's roll up our sleeves and let's do a little study. Jesus told the disciples, watch and pray lest you enter temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is impotent. The flesh, the natural abilities of your life and mine are absolutely impotent to fulfill the will and the purposes of God. Until you and I are thoroughly convinced, we will continue to trust our flesh to do what only the spirit can do. The problem with us is, we just want to get by. We don't want to excel. Very few people want to excel. And that's on every category from the natural to the supernatural. You understand? Hmm. The promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was and is to receive power for service. Secondly, let's look at the pattern of the Holy Spirit. We begin with the foundation. The Holy Spirit is used for the new birth. Regeneration. This is the foundational step for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
You must be born again, Jesus told Nicodemus, or you'll never enter the kingdom of God. This is the priority. You must be born again, John 3, 3 through 5. Regeneration. The disciples of Pentecost were already born again. You remember John 20, 22? Jesus said, receiving the Holy Spirit, and he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. The 12 disciples, apostles, were born again along with the others that completed 120. The church was already present. And then as the power of God came upon them in the baptism, and then Peter preached, 3,000 were added to the church. The church was birthed in a technical way, but the church was already present in the nucleus of the 12 and the others who were waiting. You understand? They were born again. When Jesus breathed on them the Holy Spirit, do you think the apostles received the Holy Spirit in them? Yes! But they had not been baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's what they were waiting for. When Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit and breathe upon him, it was a command. It wasn't a suggestion. The Samaritans were born again in Acts 8.12. The Apostle Paul in Acts 9.16-17 was born again. The Ephesians in Acts 19.1-2, they were born again. Though some people say no because they don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the requirement is born again. That has to take place. No non-believer ever is baptized with the Holy Spirit. They're dead. The believer is given a new mind by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, 23 and 24. And a new nature if you look at 2 Peter 1, 3-4. That we can escape the corruption of this world. We can say no to sin now. The believer is to walk in the Spirit so as not to fulfill the lust of the flesh, for they are opposed to each other. Galatians 5, 16, and 17. There's the warfare. As long as you're in this body and I, I have sin nature. I wish to God I could tell you that I don't sin. I wish to God I could tell you that I never missed the mark, but I'm just like you. <laughs> but I don't live the way I used to. I can hit the mark now. And when I miss, I have an advocate for the defense. Jesus Christ is righteous, right? Also, the Holy Spirit then is used... To open the believer's understanding. So you have regeneration, sanctification, now you have illumination. That the believer can see the wisdom of the word of God and the wisdom of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Man is blind to the things of God until the Holy Spirit comes upon him. 1 Corinthians 2, 9-16 through 16 says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the mind of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Then he goes on to say, the natural man does not understand the things of the spirit, they're foolish to him, but the spiritual man understands all things and, and is judge of no one. And then he finishes in verse 16 by saying, and we have the mind of Christ. You know what the problem is? We don't put it on. You can boast about the beautiful clothes you have, how expensive they are, the name brands and all that, but if you don't put them on, nobody's going to see them. We have the mind of Christ, but we don't put it on all the time. That's why Paul says in Philippians 2.5, Let this mind be in you which is in Christ Jesus. What kind of mind? Servant, obedient, humble, dying to the self. Wow. Man is weak in his flesh. He desires to do the will of God, but his flesh is impotent. Matthew 26.41 I cannot fulfill the will of God or please God in the energies of my flesh because I'm a sinful man. So I have to depend on the new nature, I have to depend on the power of God to do the things that God requires me to do. Man needs power from on high, Acts 1.5. I need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit continually, Acts 1.5, 1.8. So you have regeneration, sanctification, illumination, 
an ongoing work progressively, but the foundation is what? You must be born again. Pastor Xavier Reese and the secret to the power from on high. And there's still much more to come next time, but you can always request a complete copy of this message on CD for just $4. The title to ask for is Baptism of the Holy Spirit. And please share this study with someone in your church or Bible study. So once again, the title to ask for is Baptism of the Holy Spirit. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. What's the key to the power of the Holy Spirit? And that's what we'll learn during the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 